Hi, this is Austin Wintry, and this is the Game Maker's Notebook. I'm here at DICE uh, and have just recorded a wonderful conversation with Philip Erickson, who was the lead sound designer on uh, Hazelight's It Takes Two. We talked all about his background that led him into the world of uh, sound design in general, and particularly for, for games, working at DICE and then of culminating at Hazelight, and the absolutely Herculean task of launching that game and the detail and just absolute planning mania that went into pulling it off. And I also got to walk away with some Finnish metal band recommendations, so enjoy. Welcome to the Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Do you prefer Phil or Philip? I've already prefer, heard both. I prefer Philip. Philip. Actually, yeah, lots of Americans call me Phil, but uh, P Dog. Yeah, I've never been much into nicknames, but for some reason, so you prefer like Mr. Philip Erickson, like very formal. Mr. Philip Erickson, yeah. Yes. All uh, right. But uh, yeah, for some reason, nicknames uh, keep uh, popping up for me. But I'm, you know, it's all good. Has there been one that is particularly unacceptable? Yeah, I think so. I think they are in Swedish, though, so uh, they wouldn't make sense it's on this fly podcast. Right by but me. yeah, but uh, yeah, for sure, there has been some. Well, so that's curious. But you say it's an American tendency, but the unacceptable nickname is in Swedish. That's true. That's true. But uh, finding holes in your story. Yeah, yeah. You see the loopholes for yeah. sure. <laughs> well, it's really nice to meet you. This is a, a rare. Almost none of these have I have I dove in, uh, having never met my my cohort here yeah. so this will be fun so for, forgive me also if i ask very entry level questions about you cuz this is uh this is all new to me yeah just shoot yeah perfect well I, I guess we can kick off by saying we're in person we're talking at the same table right now which is the first time that this has happened with this podcast or any podcast in my life uh uh, in two years, it's very exciting. I feel like that's worth celebrating. We're, uh, at, we're so at Dice too. in Las Vegas. Uh, and on top of that, you uh, and and uh, It Takes Two is nominated in the audio category. Yeah. Uh, congrats on that. That's Thanks very exciting. So it is huge for us. Absolutely huge. St- you know, just give me the quick rundown on, on um, uh, your background and getting into sound, sound design, presumably. Yeah. Um, just kind of, you know, I always like to give a basic primer on just where people got started what what brought this thing onto their radar the the, mm-hmm. the incredible diversity of stories with which people find their way into these super esoteric things that we do you yeah. know it's not something usually someone kind of bursts out of the womb going i want to sound design for interactive media no uh, and so how did you get from you know the beginnings so, uh, i have a little bit of a fun story so uh, my dad he had a lot of vinyls when i was young you know like i'm talking five years old or something like that so he played uh, van halen eruption and i was standing <laughs> in my underwear in the sofa playing air guitar to that solo and it was just like you know it ha- just had so much energy this sound uh, and i wouldn't almost call it music because it's just like <laughs> it's it's an experience it's oh. a force uh, so i usually say that that was where it started because i wanted to play 
guitar after that, played with a lot of bands. I've been playing drums, singing, playing metal music and so on. So that was basically where it started. In and Sweden? No, in Finland, because I'm I'm from Finland, but I've lived in Sweden for about 10 years. Ah, okay, uh, got yeah. it. Uh, so that was where it all started. What I, is the metal scene like in Finland? In Finland, it's huge, actually. Uh, it's, I think, don't quote me on this, but... Uh, it's not I think like we're the, recording. Exactly. But I think the biggest export music in Finland is actually metal music. Uh, still to this day, I've, I've, I, I know that Finnish metal bands is like a thing that, yeah. uh, but I, I've never actually had occasion to sort of do a deep dive into the, yeah. the depths of that. But there is but a you, lot of depth in it. For is there sure. any? Re- is there anything that you would um, chalk that up to? Is it what would make it particularly kind of take hold uh, versus literally any other? Like, there's not. I would assume by comparison, some robust Finland jazz scene no uh, by comparison at least no. so what is it about metal that you know strikes so i would the nerve? say uh, there is a lot of like this type of uh, melodic uh, you know classically inspired metal music and i think this is more of my guess at least but uh, in finland we have this uh, really famous uh, music school called uh, the sibelius uh, academy uh, where uh, most of the really talented uh, musicians uh, go to to learn more. Uh, so that has definitely influenced like a lot of uh, Finnish music. Uh, and um, so uh, there is, for example, like Nightwish that has uh, incorporated some kind of like uh, opera singing into their metal music and so on. So I would say that that influence, at least from the classical music, is one of the key things actually uh, for me. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, there's a there's a tangent that I will be googling later in trying to learn more about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as it's one of those things I definitely have have heard reference to before in this mm. kind of just in conversation. But um, so okay, so yeah. so Van Halen set you on a path. You're already exactly. surrounded by the the deep well of Finnish metal. Yeah, yeah. So the it seems like the chess pieces are starting to line up here. Yeah. But then keep me keep me going through the story yeah so what we did was uh, with my band at the time we recorded a few you know just like uh, singles or uh, smaller albums How, are you a teenager or something yeah like uh, 15 years old or something like that so very very early but uh, the person who recorded these things he showed me a little bit of pro tools and and whatnot and i was really inspired by that and just mm. felt like you know this is something that i want to because i i've always liked that you know creative stuff uh, mixed with some technology Right. So what I did after I was like 16, I moved to Finland to study uh, at a school uh, as to become a sound engineer. So I was there for two years and I had a fantastic teacher who uh, basically gave me like the foundation for uh, any sound work, I would say. And I've had that in my you know backpack ever since and not had to think about acoustics or just like basic fundamental uh, sound uh, engineering. It's always been there with me and uh, I'm super grateful for that that I got that technical, uh, like pretty basic, but still technical background. Uh, Was that aimed towards... engineering music uh, like was that sort of the the focus of that you know how to 
be your own engineer for your bands or, or record other bands? Or was it more pro- like to produce bands? Or w- Not producing, no. It was more uh, live sound and studio mm. recordings. Uh, so that was what I did after that. I worked uh, at a Finnish uh, music studio for a little bit, um, recording some some bands. And then uh, from there, I, uh, I basically started my career as a live sound engineer. So I worked on different festivals. And uh, But you must have still been like yeah. a kid, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started okay. really, really early. Is that, is that were you... Uh, abnormal or are you sort of are you sort of glossing past and being humble about about sort of how precocious that is or is the whole finish like you know recording in uh, you know a recording engineer industry a bunch of 18 year olds and that's just sort of normal life there no i would say that i was uh, a little bit special like it wasn't always easy to be the young guy either you know uh, in that business uh, but uh, i managed and i really loved it and i had a lot of like you know older mentors and so on that taught me a lot of stuff uh, along the way which i'm super grateful for so you were obviously s- extremely convinced that this was your path yeah yeah. was was there any moment where that i i ask because this is really i feel very resonant with this story you know i was i was uh, the same i was a young kid and i just knew i wanted to be a composer and for some people they thought oh wow that's so cool how lucky to know what you want to do and then there were other people that would see me as sort of naive and be like you know the moment you get out into the world, you're going to find something else and that you're just excited about this today or whatever. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the naysayers as it were, weren't, um, uh, that's not a, that's not a wild thought to have. No. Uh, so, but was there a moment for you that, that you felt like, you know, all the other options are now irrelevant. This is yeah. it, like a lightning bolt or is it just everything was kind of adding layers of paint and it tell finally it was just so thick you couldn't deny it. So I would say um, uh, to the first uh, part of the question, uh, I considered actually becoming a construction worker. Uh, basically the same thing. Yeah, basically the same thing. So you use Pro uh, Tools and yeah. yeah, exactly. I tried that for like a, a summer job. Uh, it was really nice actually. I liked it a lot, but I felt like you know this is nothing that I can do my whole life. I felt like I, I was craving to be creative in some sort of way. Not to say is your that family you, creative. Like you, um, you said, you had your dad had the vinyl collection, but what yeah, what they do? I would say that. They are creative, but not professionally, at least. Mm. Uh, my mom is a teacher. My father is a salesman, so not very creative, uh, you know, jobs there. But uh, still, I would say that they have you... uh, some creative, you know, spirit in them. Uh, my father is really good at drawing and so on. And uh, my mom played guitar when I was young, so mm. she definitely influenced me yeah, in some sort of clear. way. Uh, but uh, that also meant that they were probably not hesitant to support your interests in these ways like some parents kind of get suspicious of it because it feels like their kid is going to go face hardship essentially and they you know coming from a place of empathy they're like maybe find something a little bit more reliable but it sounds like your parents were probably pretty on board with all this i would say though that they probably thought i was a little bit naive as well like you know my relatives as well my grandfather he was like you know is this really the right way to go but after i did that course in finland over those two years and they saw that like you know i I got a job i i went on doing like live sound and so on i think they got uh, more and more convinced as well that i had chosen the right path well hopefully this nomination here has 
finally yeah nowadays in... they are like oh but it was so good that we supported you throughout <laughs> all of this of course, of course. Yeah. yeah we were really pretty much responsible for his back. exactly that's exactly. too funny well so yeah. i derailed you you were starting to say you, you did this construction work yeah uh, and then i was asking a kind of if there was like a defining moment yeah so i would say that uh, because it was after that summer job that i went to finland to this course and that i would say was the defining moment that like you know i needed yeah, I to see. work with sound um and then of course uh, my career has taken like some different paths along the way after that because i i stopped working with live sound or i don't do that anymore uh, but uh, i ventured into so i, I got into um uh, stockholm academy of the arts um, and I studied film sound design, so that was basically the next step. I wanted to go into something that was a little bit more like I was really, really interested always in like sound effects, like you know transformers and so on. Be the on. next like, Ben Burt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that was uh, something that was thrilling, but I had never made a film before I applied for that school. Uh, but I learned a lot. Uh, at that school, uh, like it was super practical. So we basically had like project after project, just making films. And I would say that one of the biggest things uh, for me was that I basically had a studio room with, you know, the tools that I needed to work on my own project as well. So I did a lot of, you know, trailers and whatnot uh, whilst being there. I'm not sure if it was okay that I did that, but I basically worked from like nine o'clock until 11 in the night uh, every day for three years. And I learned a lot of stuff uh, along those or during those hours and days and nights. Very much a recurring theme already uh, with you, just like attacking these things like a sort of starving animal, you know, and just absolutely going for it. Yeah. Um, but I always like, you know, especially just knowing that there's some contingent of the listenership of this that are folks kind of early in their career mm. who are trying to figure things out and, and and take stock of their options and that sort of thing. I always like to ask these these questions because everybody has such different paths, but it really does Definitely. seem to be a bit of a thread that, you know, the people, especially, you know, people that come from, from you know, like it, it's such a, it's such a kind of UK and US centric industry in so many ways. Uh, obviously Japan being probably, you know, the other sort of major, major central hub so that anybody who's coming from outside of those places, you know, the stories that like you're saying that uh, where they're coming from literally anywhere else, there's, they always seem to have in common this just absolute drive yeah. uh, to, to find their, their way in. Um, and uh, cause it's not, I wouldn't call it a, necessarily a positive thing that these hubs kind of act like a force of gravity, but it seems mm. to be getting easier to work from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, it's just a, yeah, little observation there, but okay. Yeah. So film, sound design, all that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I graduated that school and like I worked uh, on a few films, uh, not for a very long time, actually, because uh, during the, the university studies, I did my internship at uh, DICE in Stockholm. So EA DICE. Uh, Different DICE than our yeah, current exactly, DICE. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, I got to work. Were you gamer in the background of this? Like was yeah. this one of those where games, it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge leap in terms of just conceptualizing it no i wouldn't say that it was but uh, i'm not the 
biggest gamer I wasn't at least but I was really really interested in like there I got that mixture of like creativity and technology (laughs) and uh, also I would say that the film industry in Sweden wasn't that attractive to me because the films that are made there they don't really give that opportunity for like you know just bold big sound design Uh, but uh, the gaming industry did so especially a place like dice exactly like, i mean since you mentioned like transformers which is obviously yeah. it, it, those movies in particular are always so interesting because you know they would come out make unbelievable boatloads of money and then when all the very kind of prestigious awards would come out like the oscars above all the only thing they would ever get any acknowledgement for is special effect visual effects yeah. and sound design basically yeah. and sound mix yeah yeah um but holy hell, we're deservedly so. I mean, it's Definitely. such iconic and 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 complicated mixes where you just think, yeah. you know, a dub on one reel of a movie like that must take weeks just oh, just yeah. to sift through the fifty million layers. And exactly. So yeah, dice is not far off from that with the kind of stuff that they do. No. And like, I remember one of my first uh, assignments when I came to DICE was to create this uh, destruction sound for like a huge bridge that just fell apart and there was explosions. Was this on a, like a battlefield? Uh... Yeah, it was a battlefield hardline that uh, was uh, co-developed with uh, Visceral and DICE. Uh, so yeah, I basically got like right into it. Uh, it was super nice for me because I could get like practical and, you know, just like do create sounds instantly. And it was so much fun, so much fun. And what about the interactive component to it? Because that's always, especially when I talk to composers, yeah, that's always kind of the, um, you know, the sort of the thing that separates people into groups. Because some really like to think in terms of music in a traditionally linear way, mm. and then others, um, it, you know, the the interactivity. Like I had a conversation on this show with Olivier de Rivière, who did like the new Dying Light that came out just yeah. now, for example, and and a Plague Tale and a bunch of other games. He's a French composer, and he's you know more than just about anybody else, single-mindedly obsessed with interactive music design. Yeah. Um, but a lot of composers, really, it, even even still, it's kind of this dark art. Yeah, yeah, for so, sure. So to what to what extent? Because it's just so interwoven with with the work that you would have at that point been just kind of getting exposed to like yeah. to me it seems like that's the big screaming neon sign like the the Excalibur you know or Luxor or whatever beam into the light into the sky um uh of combining creative and technical i mean yeah. it's like the apex yeah. of that for basically all of human art creating i mean yeah. it'd be hard to name something that merges those more aggressively yeah. Yeah, definitely. Did it jump out in that same way to you immediately? Was it kind of like, this, I've been hunting for this. This is the thing. Yeah, I feel like uh, for me it was, especially with the DICE games, uh, I think they had such a cool mindset of like, you know, worldizing stuff. So like basically making it believable and resonating through the world and so on. Like making making it interactive in that sense, like really believable and immersive. And that was something that was really tickling me actually. So I feel like... Um, you know, there are like games that sound more gamey. There are games that, like Battlefield, I wouldn't call it a simulator. But what we tried to do with the sound was really to like, you know, make it smell, make you feel those like uh, it's rock like hyper real. It, yeah. it's it's more real than real in a, in a sense. Exactly. It, to, I guess that's I've never thought of it that way. But the way you just now said it, of it's like it gives you the other senses sound kind of yeah. tricks you into thinking you're smelling and feeling heat and all these other yeah. things because it's just so 
you know, tactile and exactly. And, and yeah, you really and, feel it. Uh, you don't. You just don't hear it. Like there is another dimension to it as well that right. we could uh, deliver but, on. But this was. You said it started as an internship. You were there yeah. for a while, or yeah. So I got hired after my internship, uh, and uh, I spent about five years, if you count my internship as well, uh, at Dice. So I worked uh, on three Battlefield titles: uh, Battlefield Hardline, Battlefield One, Battlefield Five, and then also Star Wars Battlefront one and two wow yeah well and and i mean i guess speaking of ben ben burt then to to be able to go directly into star wars itself man i remember i was so excited for battlefront i was one of those guys that back in the day i'd played games like tribes and and these other kind of online drop into a or even like counter-strike and games that have a similar general concept yeah. and and the original battlefield 1942 i remember yeah. playing the hell out of that when it first came it was like 20 years ago um and um and uh i was so excited i just i remember seeing the 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 depth of detail in in battlefront was so incredible and as a lifelong star wars nerd it was like wow this is probably the closest that anyone's made to just literally going in and then five minutes later, it was like, all I could think about was a bunch of teenagers are kicking my ass so effortlessly right yeah. now <laughs> that I was so, it was one of those like rage quit, you know, like, yeah. ah, to hell with this. This is like, I, I, I've never felt so old all of a sudden in my life. Yeah, I don't um, know. Made such a mistake getting that game on, on PlayStation because I'm so useless as a shooter with a controller. I oh, need yeah. a keyboard and mouse. Yeah. Um, and I and I, I was all in too. I paid like $90 for the season pass and all the rest. And yeah, I played yeah. the game for like an hour. But it had, <laughs> but I had, I had complete and total admiration for it from an art and craft and a kind of technical execution. Um, Definitely I super blew, cool. blew my mind. Yeah. So um, that's obviously going to be a massively formative few years working yeah um at some of the absolute most kind of premier especially through the lens of sound design like those are those are those are really big noteworthy high profile projects in general but through this lens especially like even more than than other like like if you're a voice actor in a game like that it's different than if you're a voice actor in a naughty dog game or whatever where that's like front and center (laughs) in the experience but sound is basically that for a game like this yeah i I would say so too yeah it's the main actor (laughs) How big of a team would it take to get uh, like a like a battlefront off the off the line? I mean, how many of you are, are contributing by the end? Uh, we were a lot of people actually. Uh, can't remember the exact amount, but uh, uh, I wouldn't uh, care to guess actually. But we we did uh, collaborate with uh, Motive and uh, Criterion on mm-hmm. the um, on the Star Wars Battlefront Two title. So we were like, you know, sound teams from different uh, studios within EA, just uh, working to together to get this project out the door. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, so then how do we get to present day from there? How long ago did that five years end? Yeah, so that was about uh, three years ago. So uh, after Battlefield Five, I, um, I just uh, felt like I needed something new and I had... Uh, Sort of, I had a few friends uh, working at Hazelight and uh, heard a little bit about what they were doing. Uh, a Way Out was coming out. I got to play that one. And uh, I was super impressed with what they were doing. And they kind of had something that I was 
not missing at uh, DICE, but that I maybe wanted to deep, uh, dive a little bit deeper in, and that was the storytelling. Uh, yeah. And like getting, you know, maybe some of my like uh, film background and the knowledge that I uh, received from school and try to take that into the interactive environment and uh, apply that to our games. Is there a game that you would say represented kind of the peak version of like, was there any game that you were playing around the time you thought that if I could work on a game like that? Yeah, I mean, like Naughty Dog, like Last of Us, uh, of course, like yeah, one of no the brainer. best things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, both the first one and the second one, of course. And like, I think that just that storytelling and like being able to uh, to actually give the players emotion and uh, and do that through sound and music and VO, uh, that was something that tickled me. And I felt like uh, Joseph had been have been just like you know on the cutting edge of doing that with his uh, earlier games before I uh, joined. So I I really felt like that was a super interesting future sort of step for me. So you weren't. It wasn't that you were sitting at home watching the game awards and you were like that guy. Want to work nah, with that guy? No. Nah. Although I think he's super fun to work with. So uh, definitely I, I like. The his funny spirit. thing is, as as kind of wild as a moment as that was. Yeah. Um. I, to me, he always just came across as somebody that was extremely excited and passionate. And everyone exactly. I've talked to that has worked with him or, or yeah. has always, I've only heard good things. And yeah. and It Takes Two was great. Like, I haven't finished the game, but my girlfriend and I love playing mm -hmm. it. And, and I, uh, I was like, this is significantly better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, and, and I didn't have low expectations, but I just, it constantly kept, from across every dimension where I thought, wow, the writing is is better than t most sort of very gamey co-op kind of games like that are not necessarily a game you look to for writing you mm. know and 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 this one really really was it was actually really well really well put together and and and, and with oddly earnest heart and stuff yeah uh, definitely i would and, say so and, and it just yeah translated across every every aspect and okay mm -hmm. so does that mean that that's was this what they were basically starting on and you were yeah. able to get in from the beginning yeah so it wasn't the beginning I actually started they they had some stuff already so when I joined it was a pretty exciting time actually because there was at least you know parts of the game that I could uh, even play and so on and uh, also parts of the story so does uh, that mean that there was like were they hiring for sound and, and it was just missing or what yeah that usually there wouldn't be playable chunks you know it was just silent prototypes or what? yeah it was silence uh, yeah. complete silence uh, so uh, yeah they wanted to build up uh, a team basically so they hired me uh, as the lead sound designer and so my first task was basically to create this uh, sound team i had one other colleague that uh, had been there for uh, for the past games that they did a way out and brothers as well gustav grefberg uh, but he took on more of a composer role for It Takes Two. Uh, so went from like the sound person, you could say, uh, to a composer. Yeah, I yeah. see. I don't think I realized that he was in-house, like staff yeah. position. Yeah. yeah, he is. Wow, that's yeah. cool. That also turned out really well. Um, so, all right, just start unpacking, you know, how do you even, you know, just take apart a thing like this and, and, and how much of it was dictated to you in terms of, okay, I really want it to be like this, 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 and this. Mm. Was it, you know, was it, here's, you know, all right, you're, it's a, it's a boss fight against a rusty tool, uh, like box or whatever. Yeah. 
see where that takes you. Like, what's the kind of dynamic in terms of how kind of particular versus open-ended and all that kind of thing? So I would say that uh, for us in the audio team, it was uh, very open. Um, I think that uh, one of the first things that we did actually uh, at Hazelight and for It Takes Two was that we took a really small part of a level and um, had basically like a vertical slice, you could say. We delivered all the sound effects and also a bit of music for it. And we played that for Joseph. And he basically, I would say, flew off the chair. And uh, since then, it's just been like, you know, he knows that we always try to make his games and our games sound as good as they can possibly be. Uh, so it felt like, you know, we had uh, basically like creative freedom. There were a, a few instances where it was like, you know, oh, maybe we could do a little bit of this. Maybe we could do a little bit of that. But I think, yeah, it's been fantastic to get that trust from, from the entire studio, basically, that like they know what we're doing and they know that we are extremely serious and want to deliver so we we basically yeah started making sound for this and found our own identity and the game's identity of course and uh, did that uh, completely by ourselves what that's amazing um i mean it obviously you obviously had to you know sort of earn it and then uh, but i love that once you sort of showed yeah that you had a vision for it that you yeah. could find it you could execute on it that that the response was you know, okay, yeah. have fun. <laughs> and I think also like we were probably, you know, a little bit lucky or whatever you would call it, but uh, that I think that uh, what uh, Joseph and the rest of the studio had in mind and, you know, had envisioned in some sort of way, that was also what we wanted to create. Uh, so it just like, you know, uh, synced up and uh, then that trust was basically like earned. Yeah. yeah. Were there any... Um, sort of um, revelations. You know, sometimes you'll be working on a thing and, and there's just kind of that moment where it's like the key in the lock just clicks and you realize, oh, that's what this is. Yeah, you know, yeah. this, this like, I've had it so many times we're working on a project trying to figure out what's the musical identity yeah. where I need somebody either either it comes from me or it comes from like the creative director somebody says just they say the right thing and it can be yeah. something very abstract. You know, something like they'll yeah. just go, oh, you know, like, you know how coffee tastes when it's old and cold? Or they'll yeah. say something like that. And something about that reorients all my thinking. And now it's like everything I write is relative to that. And I, hopefully I'm not being too kind of abstract and, and vague no. here. But this is a game that feels like there was an opportunity to find an identity that's not just, okay, what would it sound like for these characters, mm. you know, in a kind of blown up sort of quasi surreal but very like honey i shrunk the kids kind of world yeah. there's the realistic approach to that but then there's also i didn't it didn't strike me as you guys were aspiring to what would it actually be like it felt more fantastical but yeah am i wrong or what, what was your i would say that uh we basically tried to be both parts like both realistic and magical uh, and i would say uh to your first thing is like uh, there were no such words that just like, you know, described the direction for this, uh, uh, the audio vision for this game. It was almost the opposite of like, if you tried to make, you know, one sentence or uh, one kind of like line that just like, um, it would, uh, you know, and capture the whole audio direction for this game, you would be looking at it the wrong way because this game is about variation and you're constantly sure. changing levels and whatnot. So I think that we had to do that uh, practically like every chapter in the game. And that was uh, more the, the like sort of way that we, we worked. 
So clean not, slate each time. Exactly. So not. Well, did you know about, that going in advance? Like, did yeah. it feel like you were it was always going to be this super eclectic, you know, series of isolated islands of yeah. of exploration? So I mean, uh, at some point in the beginning, I didn't know, but we kind of quickly found out that, like, okay, so you know, shareability, like for example, like we won't be able to do that whatsoever because every single mechanic is meaning new. like universal assets, exactly, of, yeah. and the same with music as well, like you know, uh, we re basically wrote completely new music for each chapter and even within that that chapter, like every sub level sometimes. So it was. Uh, it feels like that when you play it. It feels yeah. pretty bespoke throughout, especially because exactly. there's so many. There's so many um, intervening cutscenes and things that yeah. that break up the the constant flow of gameplay yeah. in, a, in a really organic and 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 and, and um, flattering way. But I just remember thinking, you know, th like some games feel like you know you play a game like um, what would be good, like Red Dead, yeah, and they say, oh, you know, there's like 50 million hours of music in a game like this, you know, and it feels like, yeah, well, but how would there not be? I mean, this it's a sprawlingly gigantic world. Yeah, this is a game that's sort of deceptive because it doesn't look like it would be just this gargantuan undertaking from that standpoint, but because there's every little isolated corner of it only works in that corner. Exactly. You end up. Do you know, remember how much total music shipped in the game? Uh, how much was it? Like. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's like 12 hours or something like that. Oh my God. And, and the game is about 12 hours if That's... you play it like kind of fast. <laughs> so that is yeah. way, I thought you were going to say half that. And I was going to say, yeah, see, for a game like that, six, like they, yeah. for, for comparison, um, I had Martian from uh, CD Projekt Red. We, yeah. did, we did one together on here talking about Cyberpunk and The Witcher and stuff. And, and um, I think he said that on, Cyberpunk, there was something in the neighborhood of eight hours of music the game shipped with, but it's like a hundred plus hours of gameplay. Exactly. So the idea of there being potentially more music than that on a game that's a, a tenth that long. Yeah. The thing is that if you think about it as a linear uh, film, like basically we wrote music for for the film that is like maybe you know if you're a normal player like I don't know 16 hours or something like that, and we wrote those 16 hours of music. It's just and so it's rare. Playing. It's so well produced too. I mean, it really felt like everything was properly recorded and and yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, we had some good, uh, talented composers for sure, and they were like, you know, extremely fast and delivered like amazing results. So clearly, yeah. So how what was the interplay there in terms of because it's it's a very well mixed game too. It never feels like the score. It, well, it, seriously, I'm, it's not a platitude because the music is very expressive and very. Um, full of kind of vibrancy it it, it really it does the classic kind of film score idea of let's make the scary things scarier mm. and the sort of whimsical things and you know like when the when the sort of flamenco yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. stuff comes in like it's it's got a lot of style and verve and and yeah. and, and um, it, it sort of heightens the reality of, of everything yeah but the sound design has sort of a similar task at its hand and they don't really ever step on each other so what was your process in even just navigating? how to coordinate, you know, who's kind of up at bat and how to step through all that. Yeah. So I would say to quote uh, Dr. Hakim, it was a collaboration. <laughs> collaboration. Uh, it was uh, basically that. Like we, we had a very well-knitted team, not a big team. Uh, we had uh, two composers and uh, the sound team, I think we peaked around like seven or eight people. And then we had some external help as well. But uh, we played the game together. We did spotting sessions together and like feedback was 
uh, flowing very, very openly and so on. And uh, then, uh, so it felt like that was the way to, to basically tackle like this, you know, each level is basically a new game. So we needed to talk about these things and put the, the effort in the right place. So we kind of even did, you know, mixing decisions even before we had actually made anything for a certain part of the game. So basically just mm. like, you know, to not lose hours on like, you know, music or sound effects or whatever in a place where we didn't want any music or the music needed to be in a certain way or the sound effects needed to be in a certain way. We tried to, to be smart about those decisions early and like okay but skip the drums in the music here because we will have a lot of explosions and you know it will be bombastic with the sound effects and stuff and here all right you know like screw the sound effects like we we can only work with music here so try to yeah see that and also then be able to like arrange the music and the sound effects with that knowledge already that's like okay so the music won't back us up with these sounds here and and the sound effects won't back up the music in this area and so on uh just given the sheer amount of content also that level of detail is uh it seems exhausting uh, yeah it was uh, <laughs> it was fun as well yeah i can yeah. imagine really honestly both of those because it is such a sort of joyous game in a certain way like it, it despite the fact that it has this kind of real heart like i didn't mm. expect it's one of those that as much as people were talking about it by the time i started playing it the fact that it opens with this kind of like fractured family as the as the dynamic straight out of the gate i thought yeah. wow this is um this is not like sort of childlike fair in that way it, it immediately brings this realness if that's the right word yeah um, oh. that i that i didn't know about it uh, it seen so many of my friends talking about it. it already won it already started getting accolades i was late to the party um and somehow i no one had kind of spoiled it, it's hardly a spoiler to say the game starts this way but i still i was i was surprised uh by that but that's the kind of thing that intrigues me as to how you know, grounded or not, uh, to make it because it, it, there's, there's such real life in the game. Yeah. Um, something else that I was curious about that sort of along those lines is the, the, and again, I know this would be sort of necessarily your specific domain, but adjacent to it was the, the voice acting. Yeah. Um, how involved were you? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you probably oversaw or, or directly did the mix. So yeah. clearly you're working from that angle, but even yeah. just the direction of the actors, it was another, it was, again, it was another one of those things that really surprised me where I thought these performances are, are really on point. Yeah. Uh, uh, and really like, never mind the kind of fantastical characters no. that you meet, but like the couple um, are, are surprisingly, there's, there's a lot of range of course, yeah. well-written, yeah. well-written parts, but how, yeah. how, how, where, where did, where was your role in that? Aspect. So I would say first, uh, you know, shout out to Pepe and Annabelle, uh, our two main main actors, like super talented people. Where so, are they based? Are they in UK? Yeah, I, had, I yeah. couldn't. I didn't have a sense of where they're from or. or yeah. Um, that's funny. Yeah. So they were. I mean, I guess in her case, but it, that yeah, could easily exactly. that could easily be put on, you know. Yeah. Or, or and so in his case, is he taking that off? Is that? Uh... Uh, so Pepe, if I don't remember uh, wrong now, I think he has. 
at least lived in in US and I think he had some some like parent or something from Mexico I can't remember exactly how it was now but uh, he's definitely removing a little bit of that UK uh, accent uh, but super talented people um, and it was so much fun working with them I wasn't like a big part of the the direction and so on uh, as you said I was mixing stuff and I was editing and uh, helping out with that but uh, my colleague uh, Greg Stankovic uh, he was our VO designer and he took uh, a big part in directing uh, the actors as well both during our internal mocap uh, recordings for the cutscenes uh, together with Joseph um, but also then the, the in-game uh, voices uh, he took care of that a lot and did a splendid job for sure so uh, so yeah it was uh, it seemed like they just uh, you know they were on the same frequency they they like spoke the right language and uh, and just got it to a, to a really high quality level i would say well and, and there's just so much i mean that's always the challenge you know it's 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 like there's a lot of talented folks that could make the world's most perfect one minute mm. um where games start to run into problems is when that expands to you know 20, 30, 40, 50 hours yeah, worth exactly. of, of material that has to somehow stretch and grow. And, and, um, um, I, like, I remember <laughs> after working on journey, I remember a friend of mine was like, you know, it's all well and good to score an hour and a half long game, but try, you know, try, it was very disparaging. Like, you know, this isn't a real challenge. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's such a focused experience, you know, that's like, Try, try, you know, one of these open world kind of, and 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 in a funny way, it's not a, it's not an invalid comment. It seems like this game, it takes two, is almost both. It, it I mean, because it's not, it's not a fifty-hour game, but there's just so much bespoke content. I didn't really appreciate that until this conversation. Just how much one-off. I mean, was that something that was known even from a budgeting standpoint? Is that something that were it just, it was just known in advance, like this is going to just cost a lot. Like there's just no way around or where, or was it like, as you got in, you realized, ah, you know, we just, we really can't reuse any of this stuff. Like, was there any wishful thinking early on that, okay, we'll be able to kind of do some traditional sound design tricks that let us leverage this stuff? So we definitely wanted to do that, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, a little bit into the production, we just realized that, like, okay, everything needs to be unique, and, like, you know, and that was a good realization, because then we could plan around it. So uh, one of our sort of mindsets for creating all the sounds and the music and the sound effects and, and the VO for this game was uh, first pass, only pass. We didn't know if we were uh, gonna have time to make it through the game and then go back again to like basically polish on our things. Wow, that's so the opposite of how I tend to work. Yeah, <laughs> I tend to be one of those like, okay, draft six. Let's you know see what I can do this time. Like I'll just yeah. do it myself, even if I, even if I am told, yeah, this is fine. Sometimes I think, yeah, but maybe it could be better. And obviously, it's contingent on having the time to do it. But yeah, that's such a different. It's not just pragmatically, but just the way your brain rewires to even... Did you, was it couldn't have been like that at DICE, I would think. No, definitely not. Uh, we had, of course, a lot of iterations there. But I do also like making stuff really polished like the first time because then I have the interest. It's something new, you know. I'm working on this mechanic and I have the, the like, energy and the positivity to, to work with that task. Uh, like, if I keep on iterating and iterating and iterating, I will kind of, yeah, just, like, 
not lose the interest, but it will at least be harder than the first time when you're like, you know, you're, it's like the first love, you know, uh, so. But the risk is always, I mean, it sounds like you guys didn't have this dynamic, but the risk that can, that can really throw that uh, is that someone like in Joseph's yeah. position would come and you spent 10 hours getting this amazing and it's like, I don't think it's working, you know, and yeah. you get that, you get that kickback and that's yeah. p- part of the job. I mean, that's, that's perfectly uh, normal, but it sounds like that never really happened. Um, no, of course it happened. Like, like in a few instances, uh, we had to go back or, you know, just like something changes or something is cut. Or that was going to be my next question yeah. is with a game that's so content heavy. Yeah. Um, there's a real price to pay if they, if you, you know, if this section of a level is removed, yeah. um, every department, I would think art department design, yeah. everybody's just had a ton of their you know, their hours yeah. lost. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did that ha- I mean, sometimes that's just how it goes. Yeah. Uh, but- I would say though that we were smart about it. Like uh, the same thing as, you know, having these spotting sessions with the music and the VO people and the sound effect guys. Uh, we also did that with the game. Like we didn't really put a lot of hours into, um, into the game where we thought that things might change. Of course, there were uh, moments where we where we did make a sound for something that was cut, but I think that in general at Hazelight as well, we tried to really be smart where we put our efforts and like, you know, of course, like concept it and like proof it, but before we, we go like, you know, all uh, like everyone starts working on it and making it polished, we, we actually like, okay, you know, make does it make sense or, or or should we do this? So we, we ask ourselves those questions before we put too too much hours into it. Uh, I mean, it's funny how it 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 almost doesn't feel realistic. Everything you're saying, because <laughs> yeah. it's like so many stories of of game development, and particularly games that. It's, you know, I don't know if it's because as a culture we tend to like mythologize the sort of tortured artists. Yeah. Um, but like Journey is a good example where, you know, the game came out and it got a lot of attention. Um, and then people started to hear the stories of it was really, really hard for the team internally. Like there was a lot of um, of of doubt and a lot of, uh, you know, st- just struggle in the typical way that creativity is difficult and is daunting. And it makes you question yourself. And you sometimes you'll put an unbelievable amount of time in something and then you'll take a step back and look at it and go, am I wasting my life like what you know just it triggers this this sort of back to back to first principles moment of of thinking maybe i should have done a different career you know yeah. it's like we all have those well i should say we all have those moments but that's where everything you're saying you have such a kind of cheerful like yeah we we planned well and we worked hard and it was awesome and now <laughs> it's like award nominated and, and i i, I want to kind of push on that a little bit and say you know there must have been it's just impossible that there couldn't have been um, days of of doubt or, or or of thinking. I don't know if this is going to work, or or are we behind schedule, or something. I mean, because you're describing what sounds like the most perfect situation ever, and my my like skepticism is going. That's impossible. It's it, it just. You're all- right. You're right. It's it's impossible. Like uh, I'm. Uh- I am super positive about uh, what we did. I'm not and trying to dig dirt for the record. No, I'm not trying no. to like air dirty laundry. I just yeah. like to get the 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 full story because yeah. because no matter what you are about to say, yeah. um, it has a happy ending. Like yeah. the game came out great, and you're yeah. obviously like still 
you're not like, I'm never talking to those fuckers again. Like you're obviously <laughs> like it all, it all worked out. So that's why yeah. I'm just curious to get the, the truest possible view of how it all. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, this uh, first pass only pass, you know, that was a pain in the ass, like uh, <laughs> the whole way. So, uh, we did do, uh, like, you know, um, when a year now has passed since we released this project and you can look back at how we planned it and uh, those sorts of things, we have realized within the audio team especially that we did some really good decisions. But those were, you know, sometimes guesses, sometimes just some sort of intuition. Uh, we didn't know what was exactly right or wrong at the time. Now we can see that like if we would have done, you know, another way or if we would have done this way, it would have maybe gone to hell with the whole thing. Uh, so we were smart, but this came with a lot of uh, doubts in ourselves and, you know, lots of sleep sleepless nights for me. Uh, so like this has not been uh, easy all the time. Yeah. But I think that... Uh, Do you have a family or like kids or no, anything? No, like no. That probably helped then. Yeah, I, it, it I, everyone does. I ever talk, I'm the same. I don't have I don't have kids, and I consider that to be something that has helped my career. To be bluntly honest about it, because um, yet if I'm facing a crossroad of of you know I got to work till two in the morning today, um, not that not being a selfish decision, or at least to the degree yeah. that it would be if there were a family to interact with and, yeah. I, and and it's a constant that balance is a constant struggle for yeah for for friends of mine that that are in that position and yeah so it sounds like that may have that may we similar you know stories i guess in that in that regard um and i do get the 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 sheer amount of content that you have impressed on me that this thing demanded would have made it a grind regardless of it going well but it kind of sounds like what you were just saying was that um the um, the uh, 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 fact that it worked out and that your planning sort of ended up being the smart path taken was kind of lucky more than anything else. Like you make it sound like we had, you know, five ways we could approach this. We chose option two. And at, in hindsight, the others would have been a disaster, and we didn't know that when we made it. It kind of sounds like what you're saying. Not really, I would say, though. Like, uh, I, of course, followed my own gut feeling and, you know, my, my past experience. But uh, I was new in the position of being a, a lead as well. So, uh, you know, I had never led a whole sound team and, uh, and the game. But you have to trust in your own, uh, yeah, just like kind of thoughts and ideas as well and i was of course uh, constantly supported by by our producers and also the rest of the sound team like these were collective decisions as well not only mine uh, so i think that and also one thing that i would really really like to to make clear here as well is like i had amazing colleagues like you know first pass only pass it's not easy as you said uh, but they managed and uh, they took these uh, these ideas of mine or of uh, that we came up with collectively and just like worked with that without like you know hesitating and uh, they delivered from time to time like just like really really high quality stuff and we enjoyed this process but it was not easy for anyone really 
we also did uh, um, uh, a few other things that I, I like uh, to mention actually is, you know, instead of like, we, if we saw that uh, one of our levels or whatever we were working on, um, you know, we, we had some debt, we didn't uh, do stuff uh, fast enough. Uh, we had these like focus weeks where we p uh, put a few overtime hours in to to not build that debt and just save it until the end of the project. Uh, we wanted to like basically like collectively with the audio team get together, you know, have a few tasks that were like okay, but this we can improve on that we need to do, and you can do that. And we did that uh, together during that week instead of like saving it, and it would become you know hundreds of hours in the end. And that was. Uh, also one of the ways that we basically like took care of these you know first pass only pass issues that uh, arose that sounds like this kind of it's like an anti-crunch uh technique basically to, yeah. to avoid crunch at the end taking bite-sized parts of that you know that debt is a, is a good way to phrase it um the only way that could ever work, though, is if it's pretty immaculately planned and you exactly. and you know how far off you are. Yeah. And I think a lot of games struggle with that because it's really difficult to gauge. Like I, when I do recording sessions, yeah. you know, by the time I'm in front of the orchestra, I know all the variables. I know what music has to be done, how long it is down to the second, yeah. um, how many minutes in front of the orchestra I've got. And therefore, I can say, like, all right. By, you know, it's we, we start recording at 10 a.m. By 11 a.m., I know pretty precisely where I need to be. Yeah, and if yeah. I'm a little ahead or a little behind, you know, I can I can sort of gauge. Do I need to be gradually speeding up and speeding down? But that's so. So it's like it's very tightly planned in order to make sure I never end up running out of time or going into overtime or, mm. or, or whatever. And, and also, ideally, not ending with hours and hours of unused time where I could have recorded more music. And exactly. I, like the goal is to use pretty much exactly what's allotted. And so, um, uh, but that's so easy comparatively because I'm not writing the music somehow in the middle of the session, but that's kind of what game design is. It's, it's yeah. it, instead of a two days of recording or a week of recording or whatever, it's several years worth where you're just assuming, yeah, we're going to encounter all these question marks and we'll figure them out just midstream. Like, you know, it's building the plane in midair as the analogy that is often used. And it's a really good one. Um, I just, I marvel at your, the team's ability. I mean, what, what was the secret, I guess, is what I'm asking of knowing how to plan that accurately enough where you think, okay, we've acquired, I'll make up a number. We've acquired like five hours of of debt, essentially, that we feel like we're behind. Let's all work a little extra this week so that we're not, aggregating 200 hours worth a year from now. Yeah. But you have to have such a clear trajectory. To, so how, how did you even know that? So I would say that uh, it becomes a little bit easier, actually, with the type of game that we were making. Since we were basically focusing on one sort of chunk, like vertical chunk of the game, pretty much all the time, uh, with the sound uh, production. Uh, and we had basically like, you know, this, uh, this level is this long, we have this many, you know, abilities or mechanics to make. We have this part that doesn't have any uh, ambience or music. And uh, since the game is kind of like chunked up in those different chapters, it actually becomes a little bit more uh, just like you can handle it a little bit more easy than you know if it would be a 60 hour game uh, like an open world thing right uh, so i would actually say that that was um, you know to our advantage so the game's design just inherently yeah it's yeah. not so much that you like the most brilliant planners ever though you probably are pretty I, high I up would on the not list say. but but yeah it sounds like it's the perfect 
mixture of, of, um, was there any, was there any big sort of left turns along the way though, that, that disrupted that where you, that like, you know, a whole big chunk expanded or got, or got dropped or Absolutely. like, you know, how, cause how, cause again, how would that, how'd you roll with that kind of thing? If, if this planning is so tightly yeah. choreographed, I mean, so we had, of course, uh, our, you know, uh, things that just popped up out of thin air or things that were removed, but, uh, uh, so we were we constantly increased the size of the audio team during this production, and uh, we had, for example, um, the mini games and the side content and so on. We just uh, like we tried to actually uh, we did tests of like how long does it take to create one of these uh, you know sort say like a low complexity uh, side content uh, task, and uh, I actually clocked uh, the time that it took for us to do that uh, to be able to calculate how much time it would take and how many of those types of tasks we had in the game and uh, we uh, got a contractor to to help us out with that because it was basically too much to do for us within the sound team so that was the kind of thing i assume where you would have to kind of go to your producer or whatever and exactly. say that's just out of our scope basically yeah 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 and then of course with that help uh we we could manage maybe the unknowns that came from the sort of you know main path of the game and and so on so uh, that was uh, one of the the ways of course we we in the end did a little bit of overtime because we we were basically constantly in you know time debt uh, uh, with the audio team so we spent some some hours for sure but not a crazy amount either we tried to as I said like do these focus weeks and be smart with that as well instead of like just piling up those hundreds of hours in the end but uh, we were all really sort of like um, we always had the mindset to to create the best sounding split screen game ever made uh, in the audio team. Like even if we didn't have time to maybe do that, but that was our goal, and we never like you know lowered that uh, goal either. Like that was what we wanted to do, and that was what made sense to us. Uh, and I'm super proud of what we made. I cannot say that it's the best sounding split screen game ever made, but we made ourselves proud. I mean, it's got to be a contender. It, you know, it raises a, a very specific question that I that I'd wanted to ask, and then we kind of wandered um, uh, away. But but um, one of the things that I think someone from the outside takes for granted, even people within the industry that don't necessarily know how our corner of this works, may not appreciate the intrinsic mixing challenge that comes with a single screen. Um, but two players that are that are potentially in very different states, and and the idea that you know one can be embroiled in chaos and the other one wandering off at, yeah. on the same screen coming out of the same speakers, it's very different from non-local multiplayer where you can have really differently managed states where you know like because I do this a lot in multiplayer games that I've written music for where you know if if multi if something about the gameplay drives musical adaptivity. And therefore, you end up with two players in the same game hearing on locally very different things. Yeah, you have none of that. It makes it easier because you're yeah, you're really definitely. scoring a one-player game that's being influenced by something outside in a way. Yeah, what would I, I? We could easily spend an hour probably on just this this topic because uh, sure. I, I imagine this was like the single biggest thing you had to deal with the whole time. Yeah, just how do we reconcile two different characters in different um, 
sonic environments potentially, even if they're super close together. There's just yeah. but there's a lot of how do you how do you keep that under control? Yeah. As a general question, and I'm curious if there's any particular story from some moment in the game of like this moment proud of that moment yeah yeah yeah. so i would say that um uh one of the the at least the things that make it makes it a little bit easier that you mentioned is that the players are actually quite close to each other like all the time so they are not in like completely different worlds it can happen but they follow the same main path which means that whatever we uh, do with sounds like both players are kind of you know hearing at the same time um but um and also that we don't look at it as us to two different games being played at the same time uh, from a sound perspective. We look at it as a collective mix that is played throughout these speakers and both players need to hear maybe, you know, the sound from one player's screen and the other player's screen. But it becomes an interesting challenge from feedback yeah. perspective because, you know, all those footsteps and, yeah. and, and shooting like the, the, you know, in the, the wasp nest. The, yeah. yeah, like the, all that, all that are things that the player essentially relies on, yeah, you know, yeah. as a, as a, as a, as, as feedback. So, you know, if, if, if player on the left is completely overwhelming the, yeah. the spectrum by what they're doing, you know, there yeah. must be ways to kind of keep that under Definitely. control. So we, of course, like, uh, <clears throat> you know, we had all the tools that we could possibly create to fix this issue. Like this was, uh, or not issue, but challenge. Um, this challenge was obvious for us on day one that, you know, making a split screen game or sound for a split screen game won't be easy. But we had a few strategies. We started with like uh, the first like basic one uh, was that, uh, as you said, uh, one player can be in a large room, one player can be outside. How do we deal with the ambiences or the world sounds? So uh, very sort of simple techniques, but um, for the left player, we lower the ambience on the right side with like 6 dB and for the opposite, you know, vice versa. Uh, and that basically sparked ideas for more things. So we had these randomly generated spot sounds within these uh, worlds or like, you know, uh, areas as well. And we spawn them on the left side or the right side. Or if both players are in the same zone, we play them around both players. And that in, uh, uh, led to the next step. Uh, we realized that like, okay, but spatialized sounds can become very confusing if they have a lot of information and meaning to them. Uh, so normally with the like gadgets and weapons like the sap gun and, and the match gun that you uh, just referred to, uh, we tend to keep them as close, uh, co as closely connected to the screen as possible. So a little bit of inspiration from film mixing or cinema mixing, where you keep the main sort of uh, sound uh, in the left center and right speaker, and then have the more like you know reverb from the music, uh, ambiences, reverb from the sound effects as well in the surround speaker. So basically, like keep the the sounds uh, connected to the screen. Uh, as much as we could. And that didn't mean that we uh, didn't have things that were uh, spatialized as well. But if they didn't really, if that spatialization didn't bring anything like good to the game or to the player, we kept it uh, static. Uh, and static. So it's kind of opting for something that's technically less realistic. Yeah, yeah. 
for sake of this. Exactly. But static in our game doesn't mean static either because you can have uh, interactable, you know, like say a wheel or something that you have to spin uh, as a player and both players can do it. Then static means that we either play it on the right side or on the left side, depending on which player is interacting with this uh, object. Uh, and uh, as you said, like um, uh, maybe going away from, from uh, something realistic, but instead what we tried to do was to uh, make sure that these sounds always felt really worldized with the, the correct reverb, with the baked reflection tails and delay systems like dynamic delay systems and make it sound like it really f uh, uh, fits or, uh, or sort of is, uh, you know, believable from the screen, uh, connected to the screen, but believable at the same time without maybe being panned to the right place. Um, no, it never comes across that way. That's the thing. It never, because yeah. that's a very kind of mechanical solution, right? Yeah. Where it's just sort of shove things in directions and that's it's like a magician where you can see the card in their sleeve and it it, it doesn't work you know if you see if you see what's being done it, it doesn't quite come off yeah. and it never felt like it was solving things through panning as a brunt for as a you know uh uh, like a blunt force kind of approach. No, no, you, you, I think we got to a balance where it's like really believable and you feel immersed in this mix and you really like do. I at least feel like you don't get distracted by the other player. Like if there is something loud happening on the other side, it's probably quite important for you too at the same time. We also did a lot Certainly. of like dynamic mixing with the wise HDR system and so on, which means that like if if uh, if both players, for example, are close to an explosion, we duck the the ambience volume uh, more than if just one player is close to it. So uh, there was a lot of uh, of uh, trickery going on to make this happen. Uh, we I specifically noticed that actually because there was one point where we were playing in the wasp level and my girlfriend was like I'm gonna go to the bathroom and so she just left it sitting there so I like completely coated her in sap you know yeah. just like built up this gigantic mound of it because I was curious how s the scaling of the of the sound would work and yeah. and I was very impressed that it didn't basically blow up my sound system when you know, she comes back and I pull the trigger with like her controller yeah. uh, to to blow the whole thing to hell. Because <laughs> um, that's all that's often a way to kind of break the sound of a game where, you know, if, if it's just supposed to be this kind of multiplier on, yeah, on a static definitely. sound like that. And because um, I was pretty we were in two pretty different like the 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 origin of the explosion sound would be very different from the two player POVs from the way I had set it up. Yeah. And it and it read very naturally. And I remember thinking and that, the funny thing is, this was before this conversation was set up, and I had the thought, like, I wonder how they, I wonder how they did that. I wonder how they kind of made that feel so natural and not, not um, like just a system overload, basically that yeah, would exactly. blown the whole thing into distortion mania. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's damn impressive. Um, uh, it really, uh, the whole thing is. I, th I feel like the one word that I would pick. I know you said that the 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 mo of it became there is no summary statement uh, mm. for anything about the game which i think is cool i like that idea that's just sort of eclectic by design uh but there's an elegance to the whole game that that to me is really it translates in every element and it's far beyond the audio i mean even visual polish and and the performances and the and the design it's really it's really i watched a great um, I think it was the Game Maker's Toolkit uh, YouTube uh, walking through a level 
with someone from the team. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, with Oliver, I think. Yeah. I didn't remember their name, but yeah. yeah, it was sort of explaining the design decisions and, and, and obviously thinking in terms of the different ways that one would approach designing puzzles if this was single player versus not, split yeah. screen versus not. And the whole thing is just approached with a, a really methodical and, and creative elegance. It's just the one word I think I'm going to have yeah. again and again. And um, Well, so... Um, I have two last uh, questions to to hit you with here. All so right. one um, is: Is there any one? This is just such a kind of like nerdy question, but is there any? When we were playing in the boss battle against the the, the rusty toolbox, and it kept going and making this very specific noise, yeah. we both thought it was so funny that like an hour later, I'm like cooking dinner, going, <laughs> and uh, really, I was I don't know, it was one of those that just really stuck with me. It was such a hilarious, weird character sound. Yeah. Um, Along those lines, is there anything... I just have to, uh, to tell you, uh, it's actually our studio manager who makes the voice for that toolbox. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> acting. I always love those stories when it's like, yeah, it's, it's like the accountant who's, you know, the monster <laughs> or whatever. It's always yeah. very funny to me. Um, is there anything, though, that you felt like, you know, yes, very professional, very proud of the whole thing. Team did great. Everybody did beautifully. Yes, I accept all that. But is there any one area where you go, that one's like my child? Like that, I just, that, that sound, just any particular, even if it's literally one footstep sound, I'm yeah. just curious if there's anything that really. So I would actually, uh, if I look at the whole game and like, you know, I'm proud of, as you say, like the whole thing and, and many different sounds, but I would like to bring forward uh, Anne-Sophie Monjot. She was the uh, senior sound designer. She created like, I think pretty much all the sounds almost for this uh, part where you're in the void, you're in the kaleidoscope. And I just think that sounds so cool. And it's so crazy and weird. And you just like, you know, you get sucked into this kaleidoscope. Things just go haywire. I remember wondering how some of those were made. Yeah. Uh, uh, any, any, any little trivia? To synths and stuff. Uh, she was being really creative. I am actually not sure how she made all the sounds. <laughs> That's because the best she answer. Did. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I think that part is just like so cool that you come from this uh, playroom and, you know, you have uh, flown fidget spinners the minute before. And then all of a sudden you go through this kaleidoscope and we have like digital silence in between and this like really creative uh, IR Evolution reverbs, like backward stuff going on. And it's just like, I, I love that. And uh, that's like Hayslight's crazy spirit coming through. Uh, and no kidding. Yeah. And, um, and Sophie's uh, talented sound design skills. Well, that's a great answer. Uh, it's, it's better than I would have anticipated. Uh, all right. Well, my last question is uh, for the sake of my education, if you could name for me three Finnish metal bands that I need to spend some time with. I will do All my homework. Right. Uh, so which ones to, to pick? I would say Children of Bodom is uh, one of the ones that I've listened to the most. Uh, very, very good. Uh, I would say that Nightwish is one of the, the most known, uh, so definitely worth listening to as well. And then for the third, uh, let's see. Uh, maybe a band called Fintroll. Uh, fin troll? Yeah, so Finnish troll. Uh, oh. I would say that uh, they are uh, also one of the ones that like, you know, been going uh, going at it, like uh, releasing albums and super high quality always. And uh, yeah, definitely worth a, a listen. Amazing. Well, Phil, P-Dog. Boom. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, Thank I, you so much. I know the, uh, the awards. I actually think I'm giving out 
the audio award. Uh, so I may be bestowing you. I may not. Uh, I, I don't actually know. I hope uh, we will. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, uh, very, very, very happy uh, that you guys are getting the the um, the accolades that you so clearly deserve. I have to say, I, I was an admirer of it, even even only making it, you know, uh, I actually don't really know percentage wise, um, but but you know, getting a sense from playing the game, you know, this is this is just skill and artistry on a level that I would never have expected. Uh, it's truly excellent. So it's 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 absolutely wonderful that you're getting the uh, the the kind of uh, clapping from the rest of the folks in the industry for the job well done, and can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah, it will be crazy. I can tell you that. Well, it, it, yeah, ambition doesn't seem to be the problem with this studio. So no, uh, no, no. Hopefully, we don't have to wait too, too long. I'm sure it'll be years from now. But anyway, congrats again. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.